Well, good evening, everyone. Good to see you all. Uh, so grateful to be back here with you, here for a uh, time of prophecy. And uh, exciting, exciting things are going on right before our very eyes. I want to take this moment to welcome all of you. And I also want to say hello to those of you that are tuning in online with Hope for Our Times. Glad you are with us. Everybody say hello to them. Um, we are all in this together. It's cool to live in Bible times, isn't it? Yeah. It's an amazing thing. Um, I want to say before I get into this, I say it all the time, but I'm just never going to stop saying it because I firmly believe it. You may call this a Bible, um, but what I know this to be is the inerrant and the infallible word of the one true living God. Two fancy theological words. All they mean is everything that is in here is perfect. It is right. It is unchanging. It is always going to be correct, always, and you can trust every single word that's in it. If you put your faith in it and you organize your life around what God says, you will never be disappointed, I promise you. So I, I like to say that because I want you to know and, and believe the perspective I'm going to teach from is that perspective, that I firmly believe everything that's in this book. And there's a lot that's said that we're going to go over tonight about the times we're living in. So that being said, if you want to make your way to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, uh, the title of tonight's message is, What the Rapture Means for Israel. And let me just, if I may, just open up with a quick word of prayer. I know we've already prayed, but I want to pray a little extra tonight. Let's do that. Father, thank you for your word, the inerrant, the infallible word that we are going to read from and trust in tonight. I pray that your spirit would continue to move here in this place where we are at and at the places of all the people that are tuning in online. Lord, would your spirit abound? Would you give us wisdom and understanding? Lord, we're so grateful that you are with us and giving us this understanding because apart from you, the things that we read in here would be foolishness. And so thank you so much for making it clear to us and giving us a right understanding of what's in your word. Bless our time together, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right, so we are going to conclude tonight a three-message series that we've been doing, talking about the wheat and the tares, the separation of the wheat and the tares. God talked about it in Matthew chapter 13, and it's just been a lot of fun for me to be here with you and talking about this, but in this three-part series, what we're talking about is this beginning of separation and the idea of progressive prophetic revelation. And what I mean when I say that is, oftentimes when God does something prophetically, He doesn't do it all at once. What He does is He begins the work and you can see it start to unfold. And truly, when it comes to the separation of the wheat and the tares, or the true believers from the false believers, true believers from fake believers, um, We've already seen very clearly God has begun that work. And if you missed the first two messages, I, I encourage you to go back, take a look, uh, just so you can maybe wrap your mind around this a little bit more, what we're talking about tonight. But truly, God has begun a work of separation. And when you look around the churches, you can see this. You can see that it is becoming more and more evident you are either for God or you're against Him. You look at what God says and in His Word, and then you look at our culture and things that are going on. You are either for God, or you're good with killing babies. I mean, let's face it, it's becoming very, very clear. And if you have a Christian that says, you know, I think it's good that New York, you know, 
paint, you know, did the, the pink lights on top of the building there and they're celebrating. I think that's good. You know that person is not a believer in God. The Holy Spirit within them would not let them say it's a good thing. And they're just flying a banner of Christianity, but they have no desire in their heart to truly please God. So you're, you're looking at this separation that God's doing. It's becoming so clear. You're either for Him or you're against Him. You're either for traditional marriage or you're not. You're, you, know, you're, you, you can see what I'm saying. You're, it's very, very clear. And it's becoming more and more clear. It seems like every time you turn on the news and you see some sort of new thing coming up, you're like, okay, well, there's another, another thing we're going to be able to t- determine. Is this person a true believer or not? And well, let's face it, God is definitely doing that work. There's, there's a thing that's going to happen that's going to fast-track that work called the rapture. And uh, when, when God does that, when God raptures out the true believers, we're going to see this very quick, very sudden, and very real separation of the true believers from the false believers. Because you see the fake believers are going to be like, well, wait a minute, I'm a Christian, you know. Um, so we're going to talk more about that tonight. But with the fake Christians, you also have the fake fruit. So you've got that, you've got the uh, fake or the false leadership, and we talked about that last time. There are a lot of false leaders out there, and they're propagating what is called a false doctrine. And those five questions that Pastor Tom answered, why aren't pastors teaching these things? Well, there are some pastors who are just afraid to do it. They truly believe in God, and they're just afraid, and they think that they're going to scare people away. Um... I, you know, there's a lot of reasons for it, but let's face it, there are false teachers, false pastors that aren't going to teach it because it's going to lead people into a right understanding of who God is and what God is up to. And God is a God that wants to be known. He really does. He wants to be known. He's laid things out for us very clear. It doesn't take a rocket science to read through these things and go, okay, this is what God said. This is what God's doing in the world. They line up. Uh, it, it doesn't. If I can figure this out, anybody else can figure it out. It truly is something that as you look through it, you can realize God is a God of relationship. He wants a relationship with us. He wants us to see that he's real, see that he exists, see that he loves us, see that there's a plan. He wants us to know these things. But there's false leaders leading people away and getting them to join into false fellowship. So again, if you missed that, just go to hopeforourtimes.com and you can check out those couple of messages on that. But what I want to talk to you tonight is how does this progressive work of separation that God is doing, how is it that this is going to affect Israel? Because I do believe that the separation of the true believers from the false believers has a lot to do with what's going on in Israel, and I think it's going to fast-track a lot of things, and so we're going to talk about that tonight. I'm going to give you three takeaways tonight, how the separation of the true believers are going to affect Israel. Know this as we get into it, that the separation that I'm talking about, the wheat and the tares, this is within the confines of the church. Okay, so within the church, God's doing a work of separation. Now when it comes to Israel, it's the exact opposite. What you're seeing with Israel is God's pulling Israel together. All around the world, this, again, it's progressive prophetic revelation. This has gone on since the late 1800s. We've seen the Zionist movement and the Balfour Declaration and the birth of the nation and the Six-Day War. And you're just seeing, you're seeing the Jews from all over the world coming back and there's this inward motion towards what? The temple. 
It's an inward motion. You can see it, and it's going to culminate right there. So there's a work of bringing the Jews together where you're seeing there's a work in the church. It's actually separating them out. So it's very, very unique what God is doing, and um, it's really cool. So you guys ready to get into God's Word? All right, let's, I love it. You guys are on fire tonight. All right, so here's the first thing. God's work of separation in the church will affect Israel by helping to usher in the day of the Lord. It's going to help usher in the day of the Lord. First, we're in 2 Thessalonians tonight, but 1 Thessalonians, let me just share something with you from that. That was Paul's, probably Paul's first epistle. And what he would do is he would travel all over. You read the book of Acts, you see this. Paul would go from town to town, and he would go to some very specific people first when he would get to the town. Who would he go to first? The Jews. Always. He would go to the Jew first. Always. And you could see that. This was, this was something that you know when you're looking at the life of Paul. Every place he traveled to, he'd start with God's people first. Always. And then once he was done working with them, then he would go outside and he would deal with all the Gentiles. But he would bring it to the Jews first. Why? Because the Jews, first of all, because Jesus said to, you know, he came for the Jew first, then the Gentile. But there's a, a good logical reason to determine why Paul would do that. And a very logical reason is this. The Jews already knew what was going on. I mean, they knew that there was a law given. They knew that sacrifice needed to be made to atone for sin. They knew that of the line of David, a Messiah would come. They knew to be expecting this. They knew all these things. So start with the people who know about the Messiah, who are looking for the Messiah, and let them know that the Messiah has shown up, right? So they're expecting certain things to happen. And there's going to be this great day of the Lord. So Paul goes in in 1 Thessalonians and he talks to them about it. He tells them about the resurrection of the dead there in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Uh, he talks about the rapture of the church there and he's kind of laying this all out. Well, 2 Thessalonians something something bad had happened because in 1 Thessalonians he's praising them, telling them how awesome they're doing, their faith is good, their love is good. But in 2 Thessalonians false doctrine had crept in. And the false doctrine that crept into that church is the same false doctrine that's creeping into churches all over the world right now. And it's a doctrine that tells people the rapture has already happened, the day of the Lord has already happened, you're in the tribulation, the tribulation is up. You know, that, that you don't need to keep looking for these things, even though over and over and over again we're told to watch. So the idea is stop watching. Right? And that, that's the false doctrine. You don't need to watch for this anymore. Or you're in the tribulation. You're already suffering through this because look at all the troubles you have, right? And this is true. I mean, they were having persecution. They were having tribulation. And, and the, the doctrine was, hey, you're, you're in it. Well, 1 Thessalonians, he made it real clear. We're not going to be in it, right? We're going to be raptured. We're not appointed for the wrath that is to come. So he's going to clear this up in 2 Thessalonians. This is the whole point of him writing the second letter is to, to clean up that false doctrine that had, clept, that had crept in to the church. So 2 Thessalonians, um, we're going to pick up in chapter 2. And there in verse 1 it says, Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to Him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us as though the day of Christ had come. 
Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come. And this is our point tonight. That day will not come unless the falling away comes first. That day is not going to come unless false doctrine creeps into the church, false leaders creep into the church, and many fall away. There's going to be a separation. The true believers are going to believe. The false believers, they're going to just fall away. They're going to fall in line with the doctrine of demons. And this is what was going on then, and we've seen it worse and worse and worse as time has gone by. In chapter 1, Paul had already talked about their own persecutions, their own struggles and tribulations that they were going through. And let's face it, we all go through that, do we not? We all have tough times. And it's in those tough times that we can identify with the suffering of Christ and we can be strengthened by God and encouraged by God and, and have our character developed. But it's nowhere near the great tribulation, the day of the Lord that we're now waiting for. Nothing compared to that. And they're thinking, oh, this, this must be it. So the doctrine that had creeped in was the doctrine of demons. First Timothy, First Timothy chapter 4 tells us about this doctrine of demons. It says that the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, are we in the latter times? We are in the latter times. In the latter times, some will depart from the faith. There's going to be a separation. You're going to have true believers, and they're going to stick to it, and they're not going to let anybody move them or shake them at all. But there's going to be people who fall away. There's going to be a great separation. They're going to depart from the faith. They're going to be giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Doctrines of demons. Speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. A conscience can be seared. You know, you talk to people and, you know, the people that don't have right doctrine and they think, oh, the, you know, the, the conscience, it's the Holy Spirit. The conscience is not the Holy Spirit. Because a conscience can be serious. You can talk to somebody who's bought in to the doctrine of a demon and they will look you in the face and they will say, abortion is good. And in their mind, they literally think that they're right. They literally, there's nothing in them that's, that, that's telling them, oh, that must be wrong. They believe with all of their, their mind that it's right, that it's good. They have a seared conscience. So the conscience is not the Holy Spirit. But there, there are people in the latter times that are going to buy into the doctrine of demons. What is a massive part of the doctrine of demons? It's that the Lord is not going to return. That you don't even need to be waiting for it. You don't need to be looking for it. This whole thing with the rapture, you know, oh, that's, you know, people talking about that forever, you know, and my, my parents' parents and their parents' parents, they've been talking about this for so long, but you know what? It's never happened. Things just keep going along. I mean, we were warned about this, that people are going to buy into these things, the doctrines of demons. And what do we know about the day of the Lord? Because the day of the Lord is not going to happen unless there's this big separation, this falling away, Right? It's not going to happen unless that takes place. So what is the day of the Lord that we're talking about? Well, it's a three-part thing. The day of the Lord starts, number one, with the rapture. The day of the Lord is this great reckoning that, that we, quite frankly, are truly waiting for. But the first part of it is you and I need to be raptured. And we're going to get into a little bit of why. Well, you and I, if it happens while we're alive, I firmly believe it can. Um, but truly, when you think about it, it can't happen. And I'll, I'll tell you why in, in just a moment. But that's the first part 
of the day of the Lord is he's going to come, he's going to snatch us up, the resurrection of the dead and the rapture of the church. Second part is this, the 70th week of Daniel. We find it in Daniel chapter 9. There's this 70 weeks prophecy. We'll talk about that in a moment. The 70 weeks prophecy. There's 69 of those weeks are done. We're waiting for one more week. When we say week, it's a week of years. So we're waiting for a seven-year period. And the third phase is going to be the millennial kingdom. That's the day of the Lord. That's what we're waiting for. And that is not going to happen unless there's this great falling away, this great separation that's going to take place. Second thing is this. God's work of separation. He's already begun it. He's still doing it. That work of separation within the church is going to affect Israel by helping to reveal someone Israel has expected for a long time. For a long time. The book of Daniel was written in the 6th century before Christ. So that was some 2,500 years ago. And in Daniel chapter 7, it reveals to us somebody that this world can expect. It says, After this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible, exceedingly strong. It had huge iron teeth. It was devouring, breaking in pieces, and trampling the residue with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. I was considering the horns, and there was another horn, a little one, coming up from among them before whom three on the first horns were plucked out by the roots. And there in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking pompous words. This little horn that's referred to here is a person known as the Antichrist. And speaking pompous words. And the Jews know about this person. They've been expecting him for 2,500 years now. And the spirit of that person is already alive and well here on this earth. But notice how verse 3 of our text tonight continues. It says that the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. So like I said, the spirit of Antichrist is here in this world already. But who is it? We don't know. Right? We don't know who it is. Some, some speculate. But we, we truly, we just don't know. And what, this, what our scripture tonight tells us, it says that that day of the Lord, what we're waiting for, is not going to happen until this person has been revealed. Well, what's, what, what do we know about this? Well, before that happens, there has to be this great falling away, a great separation. So we see that the separation within the church is people falling away from the right doctrine. That's got to happen before this man of perdition, the son of perdition, this Antichrist, is revealed. So we're seeing that these things are tied together. What Israel has been expecting for 2,500 years, and quite frankly now what Christians have been expecting for 2,000 years, what we're expecting is going to happen after you see this great separation, this great falling away, a great apostasy within the church. Third thing is this. That God's work of separation in the church is going to affect Israel because it makes room for the 70th week of Daniel. It makes room for it. Verse 4 says, Who opposes and exalts himself, again, it's talking about the Antichrist, opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. We're talking about the 70th week of Daniel. Like I said, the 69 weeks 
are done and over with. We're in this time right now called the age of grace or the church age. And there's going to come a point in time where that, that time is over, where the church age is over. Well, why would the church age be over? Because the church not here, right? I mean, we're raptured. We're not here. God's focus on the church on earth is done and over with. Why? Because we've been taken up to be with him. And so now what God will do is redirect all of his attention. Well, who's he going to direct it on? Israel. You know, I mean, this is what's going to happen. There's going to be this 70th week of Daniel. But that cannot happen until we're gone. And so you can see this separation that God has already begun. It is so connected to Israel. And we have to have our eyes open to that, that what we see, you know, you, and it, it can be frustrating. I don't know, maybe it isn't for you. For me, it's frustrating to see this separation because I don't like it when I talk to people who say they're Christians and yet they're supporting the doctrine of demons. They'll look at you in the eyes and they'll say, yes, I am a believer in Jesus Christ. And you ask them certain questions and they'll respond with a non-biblical, anti-God, demonic response. It's frustrating to me. However, it's kind of exciting at the same time. I mean, it just it lets me know I am living in the times that God spoke of 2,500 years ago, 2,000 years ago. I'm living in those times. You're living in those times. It is really quite incredible. But it's sad at the same time knowing that, that the people who have fallen away and bought into the, do the doctrine of demons, these people have a fate. It's not what we want for them. So really, that part of it is really quite sad. But... The 70th week we're waiting on, Jesus himself, when he was here, alive, walking this earth, he spoke of it. He spoke of it in Luke chapter 21. And what he said was, Jerusalem will be trampled by Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Jesus spoke about this time that Jerusalem would be trampled by the non-believers. And we know that this is exactly what's going on. In 70 AD, what happened? Rome came in. They totally destroyed the temple. Even like Jesus said, He said, you see this temple? Not one stone is going to be left on top of another. Do you ever, how many of you traveled to Israel? How many of you are going with us in October? All right, cool. It's fun. If, you're not, if you haven't gone, sign up. It's going to be awesome. But here's the deal. If you ever get to go there to Israel and you stand on the Temple Mount, you can ask yourself a very important question. Where's the temple? <laughs> it's not there. Where's the stones from the temple? It's not there. I mean, not one stone is left on top of another. you got the temple mount, but no temple. And it's trampled on by the Gentiles. We've seen that everything Jesus said would happen has either happened or is happening in front of our very eyes. Again, really quite exciting. But we've seen, like I said, this inward motion. And it's been happening for quite some time. There's been a separation of the true believers from the false believers, and there's been a bringing back of the Jews to Israel. And in 1967, we saw a huge move in that with the Six-Day War. You see the Six-Day War, and lots of territory was reclaimed by Israel. Part of that was, of course, Jerusalem. The thing that's interesting about that for right now is this, that even though... Jerusalem is part of Israel, you know, legally now. Um, Jordan still maintains control of the Temple Mount. And so, is Jordan believers in Jesus Christ? No. 
And so are they Gentiles? Yes. Are they the ones that are managing what goes on on the Temple Mount? Yes. So it's still trampled on by Gentiles. Jesus said, until the age of the Gentiles is over, it's still going to be trampled by the Gentiles. This was something that was spoken of years before Jesus lived here on earth. Years before. And it was spoken of by Daniel. Daniel talked about it. And, and it's really quite interesting. If you ever get a chance to study, in fact, I know Pastor Tom's going to be going through Daniel here on Sunday nights. You're going to love it. Daniel is an incredible book. It really is very, very exciting. But one thing you'll note in there is from chapter 1, verse 1, all the way to chapter 2, verse 4, it's written in Hebrew. From chapter 2, verse 4, you see a switch to Aramaic. And Aramaic goes all the way through chapter 7. And from chapter 7, it switches back to Hebrew. And that's very, very significant because what you see is God's dealings and interactions with Israel change. And you enter into what's known as the age of Gentile supremacy. The age of the Gentiles. And what we see there, you see it in Daniel chapter 2, you see this this great image, right, that Nebuchadnezzar has in a dream. This image, what we know, because you see a head of gold and then chest and arms of silver, and you see this this diminishing in value of of the metals in this. What you're finding is this signifies or represents these major empires in the world. You've got the Babylonians, then the Medo-Persians, then the Greeks, then the Romans, and everything lines up precisely with what's going on but what god was showing them is there's going to be four major world empires these are going to be the empires of man here on earth and at the end of that when god refocuses back his attention the age of the gentiles is over he refocuses back on israel that age of the gentiles is over And when the age of Gentiles is over, God sets up his millennial kingdom. Jesus is here and Jesus rules from Jerusalem. So you can see how us as the church being raptured and taken away and God doing that final 70th week of Daniel, you can see how we're tied together. We are so in this together with Israel. We're in it together more than we realize sometimes. And it, it's just incredible to see that everything God wrote 2,500 years ago, you and I are living in the time where God is literally fulfilling these things. Incredible. It's incredible. It really, really is. I know I'm speaking to the choir right now because you guys are here on a Sunday night and you want to hear this. But how sad is it that this is so very real and there are so few that want to tune into it? It's sad. It really, it just burdens my heart. But there is this inward motion towards the Temple Mount. Daniel chapter 9, it says that after 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end of it shall be with a flood until the end of the war of desolations are determined. So we know Messiah has already been cut off, right? Messiah will be cut off, but not for himself. Who was he cut off for? Us. You, me, any, well, he's for anybody who would believe in him. So that way we wouldn't have to perish, but have life everlasting. How wonderful is that? So Messiah will be cut off, and then the temple's going to be destroyed. I mean, it was prophesied way before it ever even happened. Incredible. 
Then in verse 27 of Daniel chapter 9, it says, it shall, um, He shall confirm a covenant with many for one week, but in the middle of the week. Again, this is a week of seven years. In the middle of that seven-year period, He shall bring an end to, the sa- to sacrifice and offering, and on the wing of abominations shall be one who makes desolate, even until the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolate. We know that this is something that the Jews have been waiting for. It's really, when you think about it, there is so much going against this. Did you know that somebody that actually was a pre-Antichrist, all the way back in the 2nd century B.C.? You know, the, you can see this guy Antiochus IV. I mean, Antiochus IV, people thought, oh, this is it, he's the Antichrist. And historians have tried to tie him to being the Antichrist, so that way what? Christians will stop looking for it. Oh, no, that's already happened. That happened before Jesus ever even walked the earth. There's a huge problem with that. Because Jesus said, hey, when you see this, that Daniel talked about, when you see that happening, then you'll know. Well, if Jesus said, hey, when you see this happening, then you'll know, that means it hasn't happened yet. And Antiochus was a couple hundred years before Jesus ever walked the earth. So... But this is what's going on. These things creep in and people, people are trying to sh- get Christians, true believers, to push it aside. I don't need to think about that. I don't need to focus. I don't need to be watching. I don't need to be paying attention. This type of teaching isn't good for you. This is what, this is what people are saying. It's scary. It creeps in. It creeps in. But... There is going to be a seven-year period. In that seven-year period, the temple is going to be rebuilt. Again, if you've been to, to Israel, you've no doubt been to the Western Wall. You've seen the Temple Mount. It's something that looks like, like this. Just beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. There's something missing there, though. <laughs> There's a temple missing. You know what's, what's very interesting about this picture um, if you're standing where the person was standing who took this picture, you're standing very close to a thing called the Temple Institute. It's right there. I mean, it's right where you're at. And what you know if you go in there is that they're all ready. They're ready. Yeah, they've got all the instruments. They've got all the architectural plans. Everything. They've got the red heifer. I mean, they have got everything except for a covenant, except for an agreement. Right? I mean, that's really what we're waiting for. Something has to happen before that can happen, though. We can't be here. We are a preservative here on earth. We are the salt that God has called us to be. And while we're here, that stuff's not going to happen. And so what Israel is waiting for, they're waiting for that third temple. They're waiting for that to happen. But we're kind of getting in the way. When I say us, I mean, it's the Holy Spirit in us. I mean, if you take a look at verse 5 of our text, and it says, Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And now you know what is restraining, that He may be revealed in His own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only He who now restrains will do so until He is taken out of the way. What are we talking about there? We're talking about the Holy Spirit in you. The Holy Spirit in me. We have to be caught up. We have to be caught up. Everything that that Israel is waiting for, they're waiting for this 70th week. 
they're waiting for the temple to be rebuilt. How do I know they're waiting for it? Well, you go over there, and I'm telling you, they've got the menorah. It's in a bomb-proof enclosure. You can stand next to it, a solid piece of gold worth millions of dollars in a bomb-proof enclosure. They're already practicing how to do the, the sacrifices. They're all, all of this stuff is already going on. Now they've got a Sanhedrin. Haven't had a Sanhedrin for a while. They're waiting so desperately. They want to do this stuff. And yet, we're still here. There's still a restraining force on this earth. Now, it's becoming to the point now where we're, we're starting to be less and less effective. Because there's fewer and fewer of us. Because there's more and more falling away. Because there's more and more buying into the doctrine of demons. Because there's more and more false teachers and false leaders. and It's, it's really sad and yet it's really quite amazing. Israel and what they're waiting for and what God's going to do in them and through them is literally waiting for us to be gone. Incredible. Incredible. There, to me, that should get you extremely excited about sharing your faith with your loved ones that don't know Christ yet. Because it is that, I mean, we are on the cusp. There is, there is nothing left. We are waiting for nothing. God could come at any moment. Who is it that we haven't spoken to? Who is it that doesn't know about Christ? Because when that time comes, man, it's going to be difficult if they're still here. It's going to be extremely difficult. And yet, we know there's going to be many people. God's wrath is going to be poured out. It's going to be. That 70th week is going to happen. Three and a half years of relative peace. It's good. This is how it's going to be. Oh yeah, things are good. Oh, things are... Oh, finally... And then halfway through, boom. I mean, that, the, the temple is going to be built. The sacrifices are going to be happening. The Antichrist is going to walk in halfway through, demand to be worshipped as God. And God is going to pour out His wrath on this earth. Pour it out on the non-believers. People who have denied Him time and time again. So if there's ever a time to share your faith with your loved ones, with your friends, your family, your neighbors... Might I suggest to you that it's now? Because we are, we are that close. How many of you are excited about this? Oh, I got to tell you, I'm, this is exciting stuff. It really, truly is. I mean, I, I, to me, I wake up every morning and I ask God for forgiveness. I ask God for strength. I ask Him for wisdom, courage, boldness. I want to fully rely on God right now. I want to be as holy as possible. Because I want to be, be used as greatly as possible. And I want that for my son. I want that for my daughter. I want that for my wife. I want that for you guys. You're welcome. Yeah. Yeah, this is, this is incredible. So I'm in a room full of people and I'm hoping I'm speaking to a bunch of people online who all want to be used greatly by God because we are, we are in a position to be used greatly by God. So let me just pray a prayer over all of us tonight as we close this service a prayer of offering ourselves to god holy holy to god to be used by him for great things in a time such as this
How awesome is that? Let's pray right now. Father in heaven, we want to acknowledge right now that you are who you say you are, that you have done many of the things that you said you would do, and that there are still things left to be done, and you are doing many of those things right in front of us. All we have to do is open our eyes and watch. All we have to do is do what you told us to do. That we would be holy and that we would watch for your return. So help us to be those vessels that are used greatly by you. Help us to be holy, set apart, being the things that you've called us to be, the salt and the light. In a world where people are falling away from the true faith, they're buying into the doctrine of demons. Lord, I pray a prayer of blessing over all of us that are here in this room tonight, over everybody who is watching this message online. Lord, would you guard our hearts, guard our minds against these doctrines of demons? Would you help us to maintain holiness? Because we can't do it on our own. We know this. We tried before we had you in our lives. And we failed miserably. But now that we have your Holy Spirit, would you guard us and, and secure us, Lord? Would you hold us in your grip? And we know that once we are in your grip, there is nothing that can snatch us away from you. So increase our faith tonight. Increase our courage. Give us a boldness we never knew we could have. Speaking the truth into a dark world. Help us to be true believers. Let our belief, our faith in You affect every aspect of our lives tonight. Lord, we want nothing left untouched by Your Holy Spirit. Use us for Your glory, Lord. Put on our hearts the people that we need to speak to. Whether they be at work, at the grocery store, on the soccer field, Lord, we live in a day and age where people don't want to hear about You. We live in a day and age where people have shoved You aside. Even people who say they believe in You have shoved You aside and they don't give You a second thought. And when we bring up Your name, people get angry. When we bring up the prophetic words that You have given, people don't want to hear it. Let us not shy away, Lord. Let us always be ready to give a a reason for why we have the faith we have. So bless us tonight, Father. Use us for your glory, we pray. In Jesus' holy name, amen. Amen. Thank you guys so much for letting me be here tonight. Thank you.